G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. Age Abuse and Justice started as short videos published on YouTube. I did 15 cases in video format, but it took much longer to record and edit, so gradually I eased out of videos to focus on the podcast. It also allowed me to do cases in more detail. I'm now adding the audio from those video recordings to be available on the podcast channel as well. Please excuse the bad audio, these are made from when I was first learning how to use this equipment so it gets pretty dicey. So this is one of those video recordings. The videos are still available on YouTube if you'd like to check them out. You can search for Age Abuse and Justice or you could look on the New South Wales Legal Aid podcast channel. But I'll also include the links for this case in the notes below. So on to the case. This case involves some disturbing content, so I'll understand if you prefer not to listen to it. It's also quite a different case for me because it didn't actually go to trial. There are no court records that I can refer to. Instead, uh, there was a coronial inquest, and I'm referring to the findings of the coronial inquest, as well as the media reports that were taken at the time. In 2007, Cynthia Thorison was 88 years old. She had a fall and broke her leg, and her daughter put her to bed. An ambulance wasn't called for at least three weeks. During that time, Cynthia would have been in unimaginable pain, and it ultimately led to her death. Cynthia Thorison had dementia and osteoporosis. She was entirely dependent on her daughter Marguerite for her care. And in 2001, she moved in with her daughter and her daughter applied to Centrelink to become her uh, carer and receive the care pension. Now, uh, when she applied for that care pension, Marguerite was required to provide medical records. But after that date, she didn't need to provide any other updates to Centrelink. Prior to 2003, Cynthia would see her GP normally about five to eight times a year, but all visits to the doctor stopped in 2003. When asked to explain this, Marguerite basically said that her mother didn't tell her that she was ill. In 2007, Marguerite, her husband, her daughter, two grandchildren and Cynthia all moved to a house in Brisbane, and from then Cynthia was cut off from the world. No visitors came to the house, Cynthia didn't leave the house, she didn't write any letters and she didn't make any phone calls. Basically, the only people who saw her after that date was Marguerite and her family. In late 2007, Marguerite and her family found Cynthia on the floor. Um, she had fallen over and she had hurt her leg. They believed it was a sprain and they put her to bed. But on the 17th of December, Marguerite finally called an ambulance. Marguerite explained that Cynthia had screamed when they moved her to the bed, but other than that, she had seemed fine. The reason Cynthia finally called the ambulance on the 17th of December was that Cynthia had stopped eating. Before the ambulance officers arrived at the house, they moved Cynthia from the bed in her bedroom into a bed in the front room. When the paramedics arrived, they found Cynthia in the front room. She was laying in bed, screaming in agony, covered in feces and bed sores, and they found that her right fractured leg was 10 centimetres shorter than her left leg. They said she was malnourished, and when they asked Marguerite 
She explained that Cynthia didn't have any teeth and she didn't have any dentures, so for the last week they had been feeding her only chocolate ice cream. Cynthia was taken to the hospital. Marguerite didn't go with her and she didn't visit the hospital for another three days. Once she got to the hospitals, doctors confirmed that Cynthia's leg was broken and had been healing. Uh, it had healed incorrectly, which meant that they were unable to reduce it and correct the problem. They estimated that the break was about 3 to 12 week of, weeks old. After that, uh, Cynthia continued to deteriorate and she died 17 days after being admitted to hospital. The medical report stated that the cause of death was a blood clot caused by the broken leg. The medical report also stated that the treatment Cynthia had received at home was neglectful to the point of cruelty in a distressed, demented and totally dependent older person. Although Cynthia died on the 3rd of January 2008, it was many years before there was a coronial inquest into her death and the date of the coronial findings was actually the 22nd of May 2013. The inquest questioned Marguerite for over two hours. During that time, Marguerite said that Cynthia had had a fall at their previous residence. An ambulance was called and they looked at her, but ultimately decided she didn't need to go to the hospital. Marguerite said she thought the same thing was happening this time and that she shouldn't need to call an ambulance in that case. However, the, the coroner found that the family's belief that the, injury, that the injury was minor lacked credibility. The coroner also found that the reason they had moved Cynthia from the bedroom into the front room was so that the medical officers wouldn't be able to see the state of the bed where Cynthia had been bound for at least three weeks. The investigating police officer told the inquest that there was insufficient evidence for successful prosecution. Uh, one of the reasons for this is that it's difficult to obtain evidence beyond reasonable doubt as to the cause of death when the person also has underlying medical problems that contribute to the death. Uh, the investigating police officer recommended that we needed specific elder abuse criminal offences that would help us address these elder abuse crimes because the existing laws were insufficient. Now, a coronial inquest can't make a criminal verdict. They investigate, they get people to answer questions, and basically at the end of that, all they can do is make recommendations. In this case, the inquest recommended to, to the Attorney General that they review the law and consider introducing specific elder abuse crimes. The inquest also made a recommendation that Centrelink should introduce um, tighter procedures for receiving the carer's payment, something along the lines of an annual independent medical review. I think that's actually a great recommendation. It's a shame it hasn't been implemented because it would go a long way in uh, identifying elder abuse cases if the carer had to bring the older person in for a medical review at least once a year. Some of the highlights of this case is that First, it draws attention to the difficulty in bringing elder abuse cases under existing criminal laws and also the need to introduce specific elder abuse criminal offences so that crimes like this can be prosecuted and the perpetrator brought to justice. 
It also highlights the value of the inquest because although an inquest can only make recommendations, what it does do is it brings the story to light. It forces people to have to explain their actions and that's made public record. And at the end of the inquest, all of that information is now available. I can only imagine how traumatic it would have been for those paramedic officers to attend the house, to hear Cynthia's agonising screams and to see her in that condition, or for the medical team who helped her at the hospital who were unable to provide assistance because of the long delay in getting there and who were forced to see her die. To them, um, the story shouldn't sit with them alone. They shouldn't be the only ones to bear it. And what the inquest does is it brings it to the light and it makes, the, it makes it the community's problem. The community needed to know about Cynthia's case. They need to know about the gaps in our legal system and they need to be pushing for improvements so that something like this can't happen again. In 2007, wait, in 2000, yeah. in 2007, what the hell? In 2000, in,